Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition. That's right, we're going to sit down and talk to somebody else that is uh, using Kickstarter at the moment for a project. And who are we talking to today? You are talking to John Bentz. I am kickstarting a casual card game called Lie Your Face Off. It's been running for about two weeks now, and it's been an interesting process so far. That's right. So we're going to uh, have a conversation with John. Get to know John a little bit, and uh, we'll also talk a bit about Lie Your Face Off and why you should go out and check it out on Kickstarter. So let's just start with some of the uh, typical questions, John. So what do you do as a profession besides designing games? I am a web developer. I've been working on websites for about 15 years now. I started off with just basic little HTML web pages, and now I run applications that get Easily about 4 million users, 4 million hits a month. So it's been a long, long process to get to where I am right now. So you haven't figured out how to siphon them off and and make them just go towards your Kickstarter page automatically and and they can't get off it until they accept a a pledge level? (laughs) I'm sure I could do that. I I could probably (laughs) do it. I I, I don't think it would really ingratiate myself with the community too much if I did that. It'd be kind of... I, I think I might get the one game done, and then they just run me out of the internet. So, <laughs> okay. and uh, what makes you a geek, sir? Oh man, I mean, I'm into the usual, you know, nerdy, geeky stuff, sci-fi, fantasy, Joss Whedon stuff. Um, I liked Firefly. Then my wife introduced me to Buffy, and that pretty much cemented my whole, you know, love of his work. And lately, I've been geeking out over Edgar Wright's stuff. I rewatched Spaced for about the dozen time now and i really want to rewatch hot fuzz again and i like my sci-fi i like my fantasy i like my board games now i'm a computer programmer pretty much all around geeky stuff (laughs) and then one we've been asking recently is uh we like to point out that you can geek out about just about anything so is there anything that you have a uh, high level passion for that other people might not consider geek related Within the programming community, this isn't too unusual, but otherwise, I'm pretty geeky about my beer. I use a social networking site for beer called Untapped. I recently checked into my 500th unique beer. So I, <laughs> nice. I have tried over 500 different beers right now, and um, a varying quality, of course. But the one I, I, I saved my 500th check-in, and here's going to be something really, really geeky. I saved my 500th check-in for the beer that Will Wheaton brewed with Stone Brewing. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> You're a, a web developer and an app developer by by day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Game designer by night. Yes. <laughs> so where did uh where did you decide to kind of make that transition where you uh you know you've decided, you know what, I, I want to make some games. Well, I always have been a creative person. I've always drawn comics. I've always drawn cartoons. I love watching cartoons. So I figured I'll draw some cartoons. And then eventually I was like, I'm going to try some animation. And so I, I actually started working for a small animation studio here in Baltimore doing storyboards. And I'd gone to school for computer programming. And it was like, those were like nine of the coolest months of my life because I was working <laughs> on cartoons. And eventually I got sick of animation because it's so much work. And I moved on to comics, and I was in the indie comics for the longest time, and I was drawing slice-of-life comics and funny stuff and just really getting into the whole process, networking with people, doing different kind of story competitions. They have this thing called the 24-Hour Comics Day, and you get together with a bunch of friends, and you get a bunch of pizza and beer, and especially coffee, and you stay up for 24 hours and draw a comic. And it's a very intense process, and that's how I was so into it when I was younger that I would willingly do this like three years in a, in a row. I don't, I couldn't imagine doing it now. I'm, I'm, I'm an old man now, so um, I don't think I'd be able to keep up with that. But who knows, maybe one year. But then I kind of dropped out of comics for a while, and a friend of mine introduced me to Dominion. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole of board gaming, and then I'm like, you know, I like some of these games. I'm going to try making a game. And so here we are now, so... What made you decide to get out of comics then? Was there a, a jump-off point, or did it just kind of run its course for you? I kind of got burned out with the projects I was working on. I'd been working on them for a while, and as we'll talk about later, uh, one of my issues is marketing, and I never marketed my comics work to the point where other, I could get other people interested in it. 
So um, I kind of lost interest in it myself. So I've kind of taken a break from it. I'm kind of regrouping with the comic stuff. And I'm hoping sometime in 2014 to either continue one of my series or I've had one sitting in the back of my head for a while. So maybe actually bringing that one to the light and seeing if I can put together a 20-page comic in time for the fall convention season. Okay. So you've decided that you wanted to, you know, you've played Dominion, a bunch of other games, and you decided you wanted to make your own game. How did you go from, I want to try to make my own game, to coming up with your concept for Lie Your Face? Because Lie Your Face Off is your first game. Let's start there. Lie Your Face Off is going to be your first game that you're publishing, correct? Yeah, it's the first one I've actually been able to complete and make into something that people enjoy playing. So, yeah. Okay. So then... Yeah, how did you decide to go from, or what process did you use to go from, uh, I think I could make a game to, I have a concept, and solidifying that concept? Well, I started off, geez, this was about almost a year ago at this point, actually, just kind of going through all the mechanics of all the games that I had played, and trying to pick ones that I thought would be cool. And the first thing I started messing with was this dice manipulation game i guess i've been playing a lot of alien frontiers and quarriers so i, I kind of thought well maybe i can do something with dice and so i tried throwing some stuff together and i really hadn't done a whole ton of research on game design theory and i i, I built something that was so just horribly imbalanced that the one time i actually play tested it with a friend i beat him in like four turns it was awful <laughs> And he was like, oh, no, it's cool. It's cool. This is a really cool game. I'm like, please, please stop patronizing me. <laughs> it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool at all. It's bad. So from that point, I started doing a lot of research, hanging out on BGG, hanging out on Facebook groups, finding people on Twitter, hanging out on Reddit and the tabletop game design subreddit, just trying to absorb as much as I could about how to create something that people would enjoy that would be balanced and would allow me to create, you know, I want to start with the first game, I want to start with something simple. So how can I create something that's simple, but with enough depth, so you can get a couple plays out of it, that isn't just a party game that has some sort of replayability to it. And I went through so many ideas. I've got, I've got so many playing cards with stickers on them with different ideas. I kept trying to do the like a combined dice card thing. I was trying to do like a card placement thing, like the, the structure that you create determines how the game goes. And I just went through mechanic after mechanic after mechanic and just sitting on the floor messing with these different things while my cat attacks me. That, that was kind of like the worst part about this. My cat, if you sit on the floor, he will immediately just get up in, in your stuff and just start clawing at you because he's like, oh, you're on the floor. You want to play. You want to play. Come on, let's go. Let's play. Let's play. I don't care about what we're working on. So he's a little jerk, but he's cool. And so eventually I settled on this idea. Well, like, well, maybe I can make a card game that will tie into this one comic that I do. And I do a, I do a comic. It's been on hiatus for a while. It's called Dawn's Dictionary Drama. And the idea behind this one is I get all these big words from people at conventions. I have them come over to my, come over to my table, give me a big word, and then I'll eventually use that word somewhere in the comic. And I've gotten like little kids coming up to me and saying the word is okay. Or I've had geneticists come up to me and say the word is synapomorphy. You go ahead and use that. <laughs> and so I thought, well, maybe I can make a game that involves using big words and I can draw my cartoon characters on there and I could do something cool. But I just started playing innovation. So it's like maybe I can have some effects when the cards are put into play or when you use them in particular ways. And so I started experimenting with this idea. And eventually I... I started to realize that whatever scoring mechanisms I had weren't working, but I had this thing where you could put higher-valued cards, bigger words on top of smaller words to, to build some sort of experience. And I'm like, well, this is, this is kind of like Lost Cities, and that's cool, and maybe I can have actions that happen when you play the cards. It would be kind of like Dominion, and that's kind of cool too. And so I started tweaking the rules a little more and tweaking them, and eventually I'd come up with the, the basis basis mechanics for liar face off and i thought huh this kind of works and there we go one of the things i guess for a, t a takeaway for some people listening i mean your your initial idea was not the end result of what's on kickstarter today i mean it went through a lot of revisions and different versions and play testing to get to a point where you were comfortable with the core foundation of the game 
That's correct. I easily went through eight or nine different combinations of mechanics before I finally settled on the pressure lock hand management that I came up with for this. So now this whole time through this, did you, are we at a point yet where you're sold on the theme or are you still just playing with the mechanics and how they work together and trying to find that combination? Uh, the game, the mechanics are pretty much set. I, I really, I spent about five months with my group of gamer friends really tuning the mechanics and, once they were pretty much working and set in stone, they haven't been touched. The past couple of months, it's been clarifying rules, establishing the rest of the theme of the game, doing all the artwork. Um, but once it was working and it was good, I, I, I'm not touching it. It's, it, it's, it works pretty well, and um, everything else is just communicating the game and the, the fun to other people. I guess what I was trying to get at is when you were making the revisions and stuff at that time, did you already have the theme set in place that it was going to be, you know, kids trying to tell lies to their parents to get out of something? Or did that part kind of come later after the mechanics were solidified? That actually came later. I originally had envisioned this with the characters from my comic, but that didn't make any sense. And so I was starting to rattle through a whole bunch of stuff in just random ideas. And eventually I, I decided to go to this sort of wacky kids telling lies thing because of the idea of what what can I do? What can I have that escalates? I really didn't want to go into I, I really wanted to try to come up with something that was somewhat unique in the in the the gaming experience, which is you can talk about being both good and bad later. <laughs> and I decided, well what escalates? What 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 gets what gets bigger and bigger and Running through all this stuff, and eventually, I just like lies get bigger and bigger. They just kind of spiral out of control if you continue to tell them. So, well, let me let me try working with that. And so, I started really experimenting with this idea, and I was able to come up with a theme that kind of wrapped around this that allowed me to not only have something somewhat cohesive and humorous that I could put together, but also so I could do a lot of my usual artwork in the game because not only was this a game design challenge, but I needed, I really wanted an arts project that I could also do. And this fit the bill. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do something that I can do in my own artwork. So here we go. Yeah, that was actually a, a question that kind of popped into my head I wanted to ask you. I mean, you're fortunate enough to be able to do the art yourself, but being the artist and the designer, is that a blessing and a curse? Uh that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, it would be wonderful to be able to delegate that work out to somebody else. I might need to do that on my next game. I'm used to doing everything by myself on my comics. I was pretty much the, the, the only person who worked on it, except for printers, of course. So it wasn't too much of a leap for me. Mm-hmm. But there's all those other bits of, of game design and development that just take a lot more work than simply... You know, you really have to play test a script. You can have other people read over a script for a comic, but you don't have to ensure that when you when you write a script that a misinterpretation of a single word doesn't completely ruin somebody's experience with the with the entire with the entire story. It's like, oh well, that word's just kind of funky. Let's change it out. You do that wrong in a, on a card text or in an instruction, and it turns people off. It, it completely breaks the experience, and it's it's something that it's very interesting to learn this. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it, and it's like, uh, you know, on one side, obviously, you have the potential. Of, I mean, uh, you're putting in a lot of time, and your art is worth worth something for you. And if you were doing it for another person, you would have a charge. But in some instances, you get to save some money because you're keeping it in house, right? You're not you're not paying that out to somebody else. You're hoping to get it back with the funding of the project and all that good stuff. But on the other side of that, then kind of like you said, there's a lot of things that go into design and development and the playtesting side, and you're splitting that time with, ah, I also have to do artwork. So I can see it as kind of being a, a blessing and a curse kind of thing uh, all, all in one as you're trying to refine this game and get the artwork out and you know all, all of those wonderful things marketing and play testing and blind play testing and do the rules look right and all that good stuff mm-hmm. so. <laughs> yeah it it's been a challenge but i i like taking that challenge on as when in my first project because now i know all the parts that go into it another question then i have for you cuz you decided to do this game now was there ever a point where you were like 
I'm going to seek out a publisher? Or did you know going in, I want to do this entire thing myself. I want to be the the designer, developer, and publisher all in one. I pretty much decided I wanted to do the whole thing myself. I like with my comics, I like having that experience and I like having that control. Now, whether or not my future games go through me is I, I probably would consider a publisher on future ones simply because I'll know more about the process. I, I won't be going into a lot of it blind when they start talking about proofs or whatever. I'll be able to look and see what's going on and understand the process. But that's just the way that I like to do things. I like to jump in with both feet, learn as much as I possibly can, and then figure out how I can delegate at that point to other entities. Okay. So you, you basically took this on as an individualized project to learn the entire process. It's not necessarily, I really enjoy the publishing side of things for you. Um, I'm, uh, again, as we'll talk about later, I'm learning a lot <laughs> about the marketing aspect and how it's a lot harder than I thought it was. Even when I thought I was doing well, I, I, I don't think I am. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> okay. It's just, I, I always, enjoy talking to people or or I always like hitting on what parts of the entire process people like and people don't like. And I'm always like every once in a while I'll get somebody on that says, you know what? I just want to be a publisher. I, I don't care about designing anymore. I've tried my hand at it. I want to publish other people's games. I like the accounting and, and the manufacturing and all that stuff. And then you get people that are like, ah, I'm fine all the way through. And then of course you get people like, I just want to be a designer, but I, I just wanted to do this myself kind of thing. So I'm always interested in where people fall in that entire process, especially when I know they're taking it on themselves for the first time. Uh, it's it's always an interesting conversation to kind of have around that and, and find out where people fall. So, I mean, for instance, for you, how how are how is the looking into manufacturing and all that stuff? How How is that sitting with you? It's not much different from then how you look into doing it with comics. That really was one of the easier parts of the process. I just had to learn how all of the game parts worked. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're publishing a book, you have pretty much a co- only a few variables. Cover stock, the paper stock, how you're doing the paper coating inside, what kind of inks you're using. Is it process color? Is it spot color? How thick is the paper? So there really isn't a, a whole lot of variables compared to game manufacturing. But game manufacturing, like with a card game, do I use poker-sized cards? Do I use bridge-sized cards? What thickness paper do I use? What paper material do I use? What kind of core does the paper have? Um, if I'm printing a box, what do I, can I use an existing box? Or do I have to have a new die created for my box? Um, what the bleeds do? You know, there's a lot of things that are pretty typical, you know, that are very unique to putting together an actual, like, manufactured product that this is in a book like the instruction manual for me it's mm-hmm. the easiest thing it's a staple folded book okay here we go everything else it's like okay this this card stock is like that and, it's, uh. <laughs> and yeah and then it's it, where the price starts adding up uh, when you like okay i i really i really like this fancy card stock except for when i see how much it's actually going to cost to make my game <laughs> <laughs> and those kind of things. Yeah, it's it's an interesting process. You know, and, and one of the other things I noticed was that you're actually, you have a blog, and that's johnbentz.com, right? Mm-hmm. And B-I-N-T-Z.com for anybody. And J-O-H-N, I suppose I should do that too, <laughs> since, <laughs> since there are variations on John as well. Uh, but on your blog, you've been kind of sharing your process along the way, including tools you've used and you know feedback you've gotten and all that good stuff so has that been an easy way to just kind of help you process it or have you been getting uh and or have you been getting any feedback from people uh about you know thanks for sharing this kind of stuff it's helped me with with what i'm going through as well or yeah um little both i have just working through the process everything from like the, the barest concept to how the mark how the Kickstarter campaign is going now. I've been trying to post on there and mostly for me so I can not do certain things in the future and also and remember to do certain things in the future as well. Um, as for the tools posts, I'm a I'm a pretty big believer in open source software and I like automating things. And when I got into the game world I realized that there there are there are some tools that allow you to do the automation, but not quite to the level where I like. So I started putting together my own tools for building all these cars really fast, and I'm going to blog about it because it's, it's kind of cool stuff. And 
when I was working through getting my proofs done. How do I handle automating those and getting the colors right for those? I'm going to blog about those too, because that way I'll remember as well when it's um, time to do this again, because um, I will be doing it again. And it's been very, very helpful for me to just understand everything that's been going on. And hope if it helps somebody else out, then that's fantastic. It's really great. So, All right. You've been doing the design and you got your, your game in place. Do you have a process yet? I, I guess, you know, I always ask that question, but considering this is your first game, I mean, and you've been blogging about it. So as, as part of that blog and as part of that looking back, uh, do you think that you're starting to develop your process for game designing? I think so. Yeah. I had struggled a lot with the initial game design because again, I really didn't do a whole ton of research as to the best way to do it. I just kind of jumped in and started messing around with things. But once I started really exploring a lot of resources that other folks put out, I started to get a handle on how I want to design games. I, the majority of my initial design, once I moved past pieces of paper with pencils written on them is to jump immediately into a spreadsheet. Once once I know that the paper mechanics work out, I jump into a spreadsheet and start planning out pretty much everything about the game. And I try to break it down into all its constituent components. And then I put print out cards with all the stuff on there and I see how broken it is. And I go back to the drawing board over and over and over again. So the way that I, I've been finding the way that I do my game development is a little bit like how I do my software development, where I'll I'll start with like the overall thing. I want my game to do X, so I'll plan on having finding some way to do X, like, and then I'll make X work, and then I'll go, okay, well, I also want it to do Y, so I'll get Y working, and then I'll try to put X and Y together and see how they work, and then I'll just keep into like integrating all these separate components into each other until hopefully I have something that works and isn't just a big jumbled mess of mechanics that don't make any sense. So that seems to be the process that I'm um, moving towards um, with with my design work is just kind of very small, very controlled iterations over whatever mechanics or thematic elements or just kind of cool things I might want to try in the game and keep hammering away at it until it either works or I ditch it. And do you have like a, a playtest groups and blind playtest groups or is that part of your process? Yeah, I have a, a big group of friends. We all game. I have, there's at least a dozen of us and we get together on a pretty regular basis. And they're all also really good at giving objective feedback. Several of them are programmers as well. So they understand how to how, how my mind works and what I'm probably looking for. And we for the first four months, we were regularly playing Liar Face Off and I was working through the rules and we talk about it afterwards and really refine and hammer away at things. And then I, I do have a, a couple of local, well, there's at least one local Baltimore area board gaming event that takes place once a month where I've done a couple of blind play tests as well. First time I did one of those was extremely enlightening. I realized that I am horrific at writing rules and that's my <laughs> biggest weakness my, the, the, the thing that I thought I was able to communicate well, it's like, oh, it's just you know, working through the structure of the game. It works like this. You do X and you do Y and you do Z and then A, B, and C win. And nope, 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 nope. Didn't work that at all. John, most of us suck at writing rules. You're not, you're not alone, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that I've also realized. But that first time, it's like, oh, I'm horrible. What am I doing wrong? But I've since learned that everyone has the same problem, so I don't feel so bad. But I still feel a little bad. I, I'm amazed. I know I think at least two people now, and it 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 still kind of frightens me. But I know two people that actually start with rules, like before mm. they even have the game. Wow. They do the rules first, and that amazes me. But those are like two people out of I don't know how many people I know that design games. All the rest of us are like, yeah, I'll get to the rules, the actual written part of the rules later. <laughs> yeah, I could not imagine that. I would just end up writing some jumble of stuff. And it would honestly, I'd probably hand it to people and be like, this is the boringest game in the world. I'm like, yeah. If it works for somebody, that's awesome. I, I just could not imagine doing it that way. I just, I, I can't conceptualize it that at that high level before digging into all the little fiddly bits. So, but if you can do it that way, more, <laughs> way more power to you. I mean, that's amazing. So, 
All right, so you you actually were fortunate enough though to learn the value of blind play testing because mm-hmm. kind of like what you said, you had a, a group of friends and they understand your thinking. So like for instance, if I'm doing something, I, I can sit down with my fiance. She understands my thinking. She'll help me get it from a, a completely crappy game to a, a decent game. But then it's when I take it out into the world, when it actually gets to be a really good game. Mm-hmm, exactly. Cause she knows what I'm expecting or she knows what I was planning when I created it. And with a group of friends, you kind of can get that same mentality. They can definitely help pare it down to where it's a decent game, but blind play testing is just amazing. It really is an, an eye opener. So kudos for actually taking that step because <laughs> some people don't. Some people don't need it, though, I, I found, too. It, that's that's the one thing, like, you, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like to ask people their process, uh, mm-hmm. because everybody tends to have a slightly different process. There might be a few things that are the same, but like I said, I, I know two people now that they start with rules. They write down rules and then build the game, uh, which is bizarre to me again, but uh, everybody has a, a different little process that they like to, to uh, use, and so I like to share those with our listeners because we do have some other indie designers that listen and 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 some people are just getting to that point where they're trying to get to where you are right now which again let's uh so you go through the blind play testing you make the changes you need to do that how much time went between that process and okay i'm ready to put this on kickstarter i'm going to say about three or four months okay um we did I tried to do as many blind playtesting events as I could, and I sent off the co- the game to about a dozen people that I know, and I got feedback from everyone. I, I noticed particular things in the rules that people were getting stuck on. This, at, at this point, the mechanics were pretty much solid, so it was just communicating how to play the game, and that was my biggest issue. And I started playing it some more. When I got their feedback, I was able to look critically at the at the, the bottlenecks in the game where they were having issues, and just continually refining the rules. Um, I was actually on the phone with a friend of mine that I sent the game off to before, and they're not hobbyist gamers. They came at it from a completely different standpoint. So they're giving me feedback that I never would have gotten from anyone who is like a hardcore hobbyist gamer, which is great because that's a, a good bit of the audience that I'm trying to target. So getting that feedback, refining it, making changes to the cards or the instructions, it's Technically still a little bit ongoing, but it's not actually changing the core of the game. It's simply changing the communication of how one plays the game, which once that process can be made as smooth as possible, then I consider that to be a success. I consider that to be the completion of the game. You know, you touched on something, that, and I think we you've kind of hit on it a couple different times while we've been talking, but how early on did you define what you wanted your target to be for an audience? I actually had figured out and defined my target when I did a play test with a friend of mine, a local game designer, and we, we went out to a bar, we played the game, we had a very long discussion about what this game is. And um, we came to the conclusion, he's much better at marketing stuff than I am, and he, he really understands this better, that the kind of game I have, hobbyist gamers will play it, but they won't immediately like reach for it. Like they Like, it, it's not the kind of game that they would normally go for, but everyone who has been a hobbyist player who has played it has at, at least enjoyed the mechanics to the point where they might want to play it again or they might want to play it with people who aren't normally gamers. It, it's it's kind of a, a, a much lighter game. And trying to say, this is the kind of game where if you're not much, you know, it, it's not, it, hardcore, hardcore gamers could play it and enjoy it. And people who aren't hardcore gamers will definitely enjoy it once they get once they learn the rules and get past and, and understand the mechanics. So the targeting was pretty much casual gamers and hardcore gamers who want to have a game around that is like a filler or something that they're they can play with their friends um, who aren't really hardcore gamers because it gives them just enough enough strategy where it's it's interesting, but it's also not so heavy on the strategy that it's overwhelming people who aren't normally used to that. So you use the F word filler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some some people are, are uh, I've actually interviewed from people that 
have made filler games but don't want to call their game a filler game. I don't think it's a bad thing myself. Uh, so I, I'm assuming since you're uh, using it yourself that you fall in the camp that a, a filler is an okay thing, is a good game to have as well. I love filler games. We actually played a filler game last night at our board game meetup. We I finally got a chance to break out Love Letter, and nice. that's a fantastic game. I love Love Letter. It's so great. It's an awesome and game. I, I consider that to be a filler game. You're not going to spend, you know, Love Letter is not Twilight Imperium. You're not going to spend 20 hours playing it. Um, it's the kind of game where you're done with the night. You want to crank out something quick or you're waiting for some friends to come over. Hey, let, let's break this out and play it for 20 minutes or half an hour or so. Um, I have no problem calling games filler. I don't think that it's a bad thing. It's just usually it's usually not the main event for like hobbyist gaming groups, but it might be part of the main event. For a group of people who are like heavy gamers, and they might say, "Oh, you know, let's break out um, Liar Face Off, let's break out Anomia, let's break out Love Letter, let's break out all these lighter games and just go through a whole bunch of them in the evening and just you know play all these lighter games and have a good time." I fully agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with filler games, uh, and they break out quite frequently at our game nights as well. And Love Letter, you're right, is a perfect example. I mean, I, I absolutely love Love Letter. It's a great game. It actually was uh, one of the inspirations for uh, myself and, and Father Geek to kind of do the micro game challenge contest over on the Game Crafter. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it was kind of one of the impetus. You know, we were we were sitting at Gen Con watching everybody play it at, you know, at hotel lobbies and in pubs and everything else. And it's like, well, it's... it's Let's kind of continue this little journey here and see what else can come come out of it. I actually ended up sleeving all my love letter cards so I can play it at bars and not damage the cards. <laughs> so I'm definitely looking forward to maybe breaking that out tonight too. There you go. All right. So you've done your play testing and blind play testing and all that good stuff. At what point did you go, you know what? I'm ready for this to be on Kickstarter. It was at the point where the mechanics were done and I had the rules re- revised to the point where I figured they would be good enough to communicate the idea of the game to at least 80 or 90% of the people who played it and I just I I decided at that point, you know, I've never done a big marketing campaign that's centered around crowdfunding, I've never done crowdfunding before. I've had friends who've done it in the comic world and had some success with it. And the gaming world seemed to be crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo for the way to go. So I thought well, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. The worst that I will lose is maybe some time to put into things that don't work in the campaign. But as part of a general marketing campaign for myself and for the game, I, I think it will, will actually be more successful. It will be successful regardless of whether it funds or not. It's been a good experience for me and it's taught me a lot. And I decided, you know, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. You've alluded to it a few times. We'll, we'll, Definitely do some lesson stuff here towards the end of uh, our wonderful conversation. Mm-hmm. But let's get, go ahead and give our listeners your uh, pitch for uh, Lie Your Face Off. So Lie Your Face Off is a casual pressure luck card game for two to four players. Players are siblings who are attempting to deal with their parents' crazy accusations like how did the llama get on the roof or <laughs> why is the cupboard filled with cats? All sorts of crazy things. And they do this by weaving these intricate stories full of lies and embellishments. Lies are cards with uh, value on them, and embellishments can adjust values of stories. And the idea is to tell a big enough story, a complicated enough story, so that you get five lies in a story at the beginning of your turn, at which point your, your parent is convinced that you didn't do the thing that they accused you of, so you can take that story out of play, and at the end of the game, you score a lot of points for it. Now, there are, are ways that your siblings can attack the most outrageous stories, essentially kind of calling BS on the most ridiculous things. Like, you know, if if I say that an icicle almost hit me and you say, well, there was an alien invasion, I'm <laughs> what it, my attack is probably going to take care of the alien invasion, not the icicle almost hitting me. So the idea is that the siblings can, can take care of these most outrageous stories. And there's a couple of other interesting actions that are available as well. So there's some interaction between the players. There are, you're, you're working on your own stories. You're not like, putting cars on anybody else's and the idea is to complete enough stories to get your parents off your case and at that point everyone scores all their cards um, or if the deck runs out your parents have run out of patience with you and the game will end immediately <laughs> okay 
What is the uh, one thing? Let's say uh, somebody's checking it out and they're on the fence. What is the one thing that you want to stress this, that would make them say, I have to back this right now? This is a game that pretty much every single person that I, I have introduced it to has enjoyed it at some level. There are people who love the artwork of the game. There are people who like the mechanic of the game. There are people who who, who really enjoy the strategy aspect of the game. There are multiple ways to win or end the game. There are enough ways to allow you to mess with your opponents that you can feel like you're do, actually doing something every single turn to hamper their efforts. And so there's a lot of there's a lot in this game for a lot of different type of players and play styles. And so backing the game allows you to and, and getting in on this and if you get it funded would give you a game that can scratch a lot of itches if you want a lighter game if you want a game with just a bit of strategy in it uh, if you want a little bit of take that you know you don't want a munchkin level where you're just destroying everyone for three hours but you want to mess with your opponents a little bit it's a good choice uh, the artwork's great i'm saying that because i drew it but lots of other people have said it's great and it's it's a very it's a fast game and it's a lot of fun and if i remember right did Forrest look at this, Forrest Bauer? He did, yes. Did you know Forrest previously, or did you just send him like a, a review copy? Or We've been talking a little bit on Reddit before that. He had posted saying he was looking for reviews. Okay. And uh, so I kept him. This was well before the game was even ready, so I just kind of kept in touch with him for the couple of months. And then once I actually got it to the point where I could get a print ready, I sent it over to him. So. Yeah, it just kind of stuck out to me because Forrest has been on the uh, show for when he did his Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's a fellow reviewer, so uh, it, I know I know him, and I hung out with him a little bit and said hi to him a few times at Gen Con as well. But just, I just remembered seeing his name on your Kickstarter page. So, how many people did you have take a look at it as far as the review side of things? I've had five. Two have actually reported back so far, and I'm waiting on a couple of other ones. There were some scheduling problems okay. with the others. But hopefully those will come live this week. I really hope so. Actually, the other one that I reviewed, the a board game a day, that mm-hmm. came out of absolutely nowhere. That's like a friend of a friend, and they messaged me and they said, "Hey, my brother does this blog about board games," and I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> they got back to you though, so <laughs> you, they did, you got yes. a, you got a review up up quick for that. So let's see here. We got uh, Lie Your Face Off is on Kickstarter right now. It's looking for $11,000. You got just under 2000 at the moment, and you go till November 7th. So lessons. Should we get into the lesson side of things? You, you've kind of chomped at the bit a couple times saying we'll talk about that later. So <laughs> uh, where would you like to start in this part of the uh, conversation, John? <laughs> You know, I, I think I might want to start with the marketing aspect of oh, this, yeah. actually. I, I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do, what, do you want to, what do you want to tell us about marketing for your, your for a Kickstarter project? Uh, the, the more, the better. And not just to your friends, but to your friends' friends and to random people on the Internet, especially. <laughs> because that initial burst of signups for a Kickstarter project, it's going to be your friends and family. They believe in you as long as you've been you know, pitching it to them and letting them know that, you know, I have this really great thing, please help me make it. They're more than willing to help you out. I, my friends have been wonderful through the playtest process, through refinement, and then pledging all this money towards the campaign. It, it's it's really kind of humbling in a way, actually, that they would do this for me. So I really thank them very much. The problem is, I don't have 250 friends who are willing to do that immediately on the first day. So I needed to do more marketing for the game, and I thought I had done enough, and I'm learning that I didn't even scratch the surface of what I probably should have been doing. There's there's no such thing. <laughs> there's no such thing as enough. Mm-hmm. A, a year out, you're not too early. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've had that conversation uh, on the uh, podcast several times. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to ask you this question because you're waiting for at least three more reviews, you said, mm-hmm. potentially. Yep. How early did you contact them? Uh, about two months. Okay. Maybe three. The biggest reason I ask is what usually happens with me is, hey, I've got a week left, or hey, I I, uh, I launched two weeks ago. Can you please review my game if I get it to you next week? It's like, well, okay, let's do the math on that. <laughs> 
So and and if I if we can we we try to fit it in but I'm constantly trying to preach the fact that you cannot get your if you're going to use reviewers which is not a bad idea again going back to the marketing thing engage them as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. All right so what else for marketing then I mean uh, what what did you do for marketing let's 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 do the positive side of things what did you what were you able to do John to try to do some marketing for like All right off? well I, I did the absolute basics, board game geek page, personal website, Facebook page, um, a little as much mentioning on Reddit as I could possibly do without getting kicked off. <laughs> yeah. That's a very fine line sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so so the absolute basics for that. I had done a lo- a lot of local Baltimore based events. I did five events here specifically about the game, some with better turnout than others. So I, I tried to engage the local community as much as I could. That's good. I had sent off copies to friends and family in order to have them play the game and give feedback and hopefully introduce their friends to the game. And that's how, that's worked a little bit, tiny bit. But again, with schedules, some people were just really busy and not able to get to it in the time frame that I was hoping. So it wasn't as valuable as I thought, but it's still extremely valuable with regards to that. And then there's things like your typical internet advertising, banner advertisements. I actually just set up a campaign today on Project Wonderful for the game. So I'm kind of just saturating the airwaves, trying to get some more people to even come and take a look at it. So, What kind of research did you do then going into the Kickstarter project for, say, running a Kickstarter? Did you do any of that early on before launching or during the launch? Yeah, I had done a lot of reading on Kickstarter projects in general, specifically in the board gaming world. A couple of Facebook groups that are dedicated to that, as well as things on Reddit and BGG about approaches you should probably take. Um, Of course, uh, Jamie Stegmeier's articles, reading through all of those. What? Um, Never heard of him. (laughs) He's a guy and he does stuff. Jamie's been on the show too, so he's he's a great guy, and yeah, of course he's kind of becoming the uh, the go to guy. In fact, he's doing a book here soon for Kickstarter as well. Yeah, so I read about that, and so just pouring over all of this information, trying to figure out, okay, I have the math for the printing all done. I, ha- I have it down to the to you know the the ten the ten dollar of how I'm going to be able to do this, as well as Amazon's and Kickstarter's cut. So. All right, I've got the pledge levels all worked out. I've got pledge levels spread throughout the entire the entire gamut from four dollars to ninety dollars. I've got everything. I, I've got a playthrough video. I've got lots and lots of graphics. I illustrate the gameplay. I talk about this. I talk about that. I have the video under two minutes. I mean, literally everything that you could possibly do to make the campaign theoretically work. I, I tried to do putting together putting together the page and the video. And it's interesting to see what works and what doesn't um, when you do all that. So, well, and you kind of, you know, we we've talked quite a bit on the show too about the basics or the process or the foundation that's starting to form. You know, everybody's kind of waiting for the Kickstarter bubble to burst, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure myself where that's going to really fall. I don't know if it's going to be this big burst. Uh, but I do kind of think there is at least some process coming out of it that you have to kind of cover to have a shot at being successful. Mm-hmm. And to me, you pretty much just described it. I mean, you, you've you hit all the marks. You're right. But again, I, I like to stress that it's this is the process. This is the formula that's coming out to give you a shot at being successful. It doesn't guarantee success by any means. Mm-hmm. And there's variables to every project. I mean, you know, I've had people ask me for feedback and uh, and give them advice on pre-launch or dur- even during launch if they wanted to change some things. And they don't always follow my advice. And I'm fine with that because at the end of the day, it's their project. Uh, I'll, I'll give it and then they have to weigh it for their side. And uh, sometimes that has gone horrible for them, and sometimes that has gone really great for them. And, I, and especially if it goes really great for somebody, I'm always like, "Hey, congratulations! You you dodged the bullet that I predicted, so that's awesome for you. Uh, keep it up, you know, kind of thing." But it just kind of goes to show, even with this formula in place, even with uh, following Jamie's blog to the letter and that kind of stuff, doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean you're guaranteed 
to be funded. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, and there, I mean, there's no guarantees in crowdfunding anyway. I've had, uh, you know, a friend of mine who was, who run a successful Kickstarter, but this was back in 2011 when Kickstarter wasn't the, the behemoth that it is. It's like, Hey, I have a book out here. Uh, you want to fund it? And then, you know, it funded perfectly. The second project he ran, he was struggling the entire time until Boing Boing ran an article that mentioned his book. And then suddenly it funded. Otherwise, it would not have worked. So it's like just that chance thing of that happening. And it's like, yeah, sometimes that's what it comes down to. Just dumb luck. Well, and, you know, we've we've even seen it somewhat recently with, say, like uh, uh, Minion Games, mm-hmm. where he had to relaunch Battle Merchants. No, yeah, Minion. Yeah, he had to. Yeah, re- yeah, had, met Battle Merchants. Yeah. yeah, he had to relaunch Battle Merchants, and at the time when when Battle Merchants was first on, because uh, we also do the draft pick thing. I don't know if you've heard that at all, but we, yeah, I took a look. I took a look through that. Yeah, so at the time, uh, my co-host for that, Sarah, had picked Battle Merchants the first go around, and I had made the joke that you know it, it's almost to the point where we should disqualify Minion Games as games because they're going to auto fund. So even at that time, I mean, somebody that has a presence and a reputation and built their entire company pretty much around the Kickstarter, uh, the use of Kickstarter, uh, failed, had a failure. And in the second time around, I think they, they funded, but they barely funded even mm-hmm. for Battle Merchant. So it's it's just not a cut and dry. They, again, the formula is there, but that formula that's starting to form is just to give you a fair shot in a very, very huge sea of projects at this point. I know. It is amazing how many other just game projects are out there, not yeah. not even going into the rest of Kickstarter. I just see all of these things. I'm on, Of course, I'm on a bunch of Twitter feeds that mention new projects coming out, and it's just amazing how many new projects are coming out. Even, in, even here in Baltimore, there's dozens of them right now, and it's just amazing. And the one thing I do really like for your particular project is the fact that it's more of a casual um, and it's the the filler game. Now, it wasn't that long ago that that was a bad thing on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was there was a bubble that needed to be burst there that a lot of the casual filler type games were just not having any success at all. And then we started seeing things like uh water balloon washout, uh, barely funded havoc and hijinks did really well. And a couple others along that line. And we finally got to see some acceptance that, you know, again, the, there's nothing wrong with filler games. There's nothing wrong with casual games. And if they're done right, why not give them the same shot? So mm-hmm. you, you are at least over that bump, which is nice because <laughs> I'm glad to see that, that little, bump kind of finally go away and be in our mm-hmm. rear view mirror, if you will, <laughs> at least for now. So you're at least over that part, but what are your plans right now? I mean, you're, you're, again, you're looking for $11,000. You're just shy of 1200. What's your rallying point, I guess right now, cause you're going until November 7th. So you got about 14 days left as of this recording, right? Yeah. 14 mm-hmm. days. Yeah. 14 days. Yeah. Um, I am going to write it all the way. Um, the review, the rest of the reviews will hopefully come out this week. This podcast will go live. I've got a couple of other blog and related things that are being published. And I've got some, another playtest event here in Baltimore. I've got a group that is going to be play testing the game. And, uh, I got to make sure they get the latest version of the rules because those have been changing a lot. And I'm going to write it until November 7th. And if it funds, it funds. That's great. If it doesn't, then I will probably end up relaunching with a much stronger campaign sometime early next year. Now that I've learned my lessons, I will take the entire experience and learn what I learned from it and go from it from there. If it doesn't work that time, or if in the meantime, some sort of publisher, I, I can work on something out with a publisher, then you know I'll, I'll go that route. But other than that, I want, I want to try it again. That's awesome. And obviously, uh, the hope here is... Let's see if we can help John fund this this time. But like we uh, like to say a, a lot too, having a first time failed project does not mean failure. 
Uh, as long as, like you said, you've you've put together lessons, you understand you understand some things that could be done differently. As long as you relaunch with lessons learned and communicate them well to your backers, so they understand why you decided to relaunch or why anything had to change from your project. I know several projects that have gone above and beyond what they initially tried to fund for uh, on a relaunch. So it's definitely not a bad thing. I, I've never thought that of of a uh, a relaunch as a bad thing in any mm-hmm. any shape or form. As long as, like I said, the lessons are are learned there and learned. Oh, and they definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We're. Uh, do you have any other uh, lessons that you want to share with our listeners? Only one. Okay. When making your Kickstarter video, make sure the audio is good. I spent so much time on the audio and. I've seen a lot of other Kickstarter videos where the audio is echoey and that for me personally is like a big turnoff. So I spent like two afternoons just just hammering out all of the audio for the Kickstarter video so it didn't sound like a guy in a room with a camera 20 feet away with a giant echo all over the place. It's like uh, my, my one piece of advice for all Kickstarter people making a video, if you're not having somebody else do it, Get a lavalier microphone off of Amazon. It costs maybe twenty bucks, and plug it into your camera. It will make a world of difference when you're with your Kickstarter video. Even if the video itself isn't super well lit, um, having that clear audio makes a big, huge difference on everything. Nice. I don't think we've ever had anybody uh, share that that one before. So you just you just gave us a new piece of advice. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And what would you like to leave our listeners with about the project, sir? Check it out. If you like it, back it. If not, leave a comment. Of course, like all people running Kickstarter campaigns, check the page obsessively so I will be able to respond to you in a timely fashion. And, you know, let me know what you think. I, I like to get feedback so I can make things better. All right. So, again, lie your face off. And as always, I will have a link to not only the Kickstarter project, but also link to John's blog so you can check that out as well. So those will both be in the show notes. But Lie Your Face Off is on Kickstarter right now. He's looking for $11,000. He's got just shy of 1200 right now. And it goes until November 7th. Go check it out and help, help John uh, get this dream funded. Well, John, I want to thank you for hanging out with me tonight and having this conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a great experience here. So, All right. And thanks for uh, bringing your lessons to the table as well. I, I always appreciate when people come on and, and can be honest and, and uh, objective about their, their project and understand, you know, what works and what doesn't. So I, I always appreciate that because it not only, you know, it's, it's not only nice for us to talk about it, but it's nice for other people to hear that are coming up behind you too. So I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Have a good night. You too. 